0: Anyway, at this time, we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. So ushers, if you could please prepare for that. Uh, you know, this past Thursday was Halloween. And for those of you who have kids, you know, I have kids. And so I remember last year, uh, my kids went, my kids got candy, right? A lot of candy, like unhealthy amount of candy. And so I remember uh, uh, the next morning after, <clears throat> I asked my two oldest uh, daughters, Caitlin and Brienne. I told him, hey, baby, come real quick? Babies, come. So they came in, daddy has some bad news. Like last night, as mommy and I went through your candy, I got hungry. <clears throat> and I decided there's a really unhealthy amount of candy that you guys got. So I decided I'd help you out. I just ate it all. I ate all your candy. Now, my oldest daughter, Kaelin, she looked at me. She's like, all of it? I was like, "Yeah, sorry." <laughs> I, ate, daddy, ate all of it, and so my my second oldest daughter, Brian, she's like, "Daddy, did you eat all the you eat all the gummies too?" I go, "Yep, I ate all the gummies." What, what what about the what about the chocolate candy? Yep, I ate all the chocolate candy. What about the lollipops? Yep, I ate all the lollipops. What about the healthy stuff? No, 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 no. You guys still have the healthy stuff. You guys can have the healthy stuff for good. And I could look at her. I looked at both of them, and I looked at Brianna. Went Joking, here. And so I brought up the bag that had all their candy, and and so Caitlin was crying, and so she's like, "Oh, you're joking, okay?" And she so she had a big smile. And Brianna though, Brianna was so interesting, because Brianna looked at the bag of candy, and she looked at me, and she looked inside, and she grabbed one, and she said, "Here you go, Daddy. This is for you." And I looked at it, and I was like, here's my second oldest daughter, who was like four at this time. She's like, here you go, Daddy, you can have this. And in my mind, I'm going, I could have had the whole thing. But my daughter gave me one of her candies. And it wasn't just that she gave it, but the smile on her face, the joy in her heart, that touched me more. I was like, no, baby, it's okay, you can have it. Daddy doesn't need it. And in the same way, that's how we're supposed to be when you give to God. That joy, that cheerful heart, knowing that God could pretty much take anything and everything. But because he loves us, he says, no, it's for you. And then we give him just a little piece back. And what he does with it, far greater than anything else. Now, you might be visiting us for the very first time. And if you're new to New Hope Church, We ask that you don't feel obligated to give. In fact, receive this service to help you in your relationship with the Lord. Or maybe you're visiting us from another church and we want to encourage you to give wherever you regularly attend church services. But if this is where you call home, would you know that as we give to the Lord, he's going to give us far more what we give him. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray for our tithes and offerings? Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we're so grateful and we're so thankful for who you are. That, Lord, you love us so much that you deserve everything, yet you ask for just one one small fraction. And what you do with it, far greater than anything we could ever do with it. And so, Lord, I pray right now, as we give you our tithes and offerings, Lord, Let us give it to you with cheerful hearts, full of joy, knowing that what you're going to do with it is far greater than anything that we could ever imagine. Because, Lord, everything you do is for a purpose to reach those far from you. And, Lord, what a joy it is to be a part of your plan, to see people receive the hope, receive faith, and receive love that can only come from you. And so Lord, we love you, Lord, we thank you, and we look forward to what you're going to continue to do in the lives of your people. We love you, Lord, and we pray for all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.
1: We're going to have a moment where it's a burn the ship type of moment. Now, I actually did have one of those, not quite as serious as this, but it was a burn the ship moment. And what I got out of that, believe it or not, is the best doorstop ever. Like, seriously, it's the best doorstop. Because you know those brown plastic ones? You put them under the door, and then you can just shut the door right over it, and kids pick it up, walk away, whatever. It's just, but I've got this one. Like, the kids never pick it up. The door never shuts over it. It's just so easy to use. You guys want to see it? Okay, hang on. It's real easy. It's right here. They wrapped it up good. This is my doorstop. It's perfect. I put it on the ground in front of the door. And then when I want to keep the door open, I just kind of do that. And then when I want to open the door, I do that. Perfect doorstop. Perfect. Now, I didn't buy that to be a doorstop, I'll be honest. What happened was um, I work out, and I had a friend of mine who had this great idea. And my friend said, hey, you ever done kettlebells? And I said, no. And she says, OK, here. she gave me some exercises. And that's all. No other instructions. So I went to the store, and I'm standing there, and I'm looking, and I'm like, I don't know what size to buy. And then I decide, well, you know, I do 10-pound dumbbells, so 10-pound kettlebell, right? No. No. See, what I did is I did what the exercise she told me, and then I injured my rotator cuff so that my arm hung, and I couldn't use it. Then I had to go to the doctor and get a cortisone shot, which hurt, and then I had to go to physical therapy. So I burned the ship. I have a doorstop. It's never been a kettlebell since that day. It's been a doorstop. Now, some of you are looking at that going, I'll take that off your hands. I'll use it as a kettlebell. It was made for more than that. And you'd be right. Because when they were making this, I'm sure the designer didn't say, well, we should be this much weight. And you know what, let's put a flat side on it so when it's laying on the floor, you can flip it. I bet you that was not part of the thought at all. Well, I have a secret for you. Just like that kettlebell, everybody sitting here and online, we're made for more than what we're doing right now. As God created us, he could see the future and he saw our part in it. He saw our gifts, he saw our abilities, he saw our talents, and he saw how they would intersect with the world around us. And as he created our personalities, our gifts, and our talents, he saw the impact that we would have on our world. But many of us are comfortable with how our life looks. We're content with the ease of our everyday existence, and so we live for that. Others of us, because of past experiences, discomforts, hurts, lack of appreciation, or even recognition, are tentative about moving forward or striving for more. Either way, we're living far below what God designed us for. And whether it's lack of appreciation, recognition, or invitation that hinders us, or if it's comfort, ease, and peace that plants us, Many of us are living less than God's dream and vision for us. And Jesus himself declared that we're called to do more. Speaking to his disciples, he told them, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Whoever believes in me will do the works and even greater because I'm going to the Father. Did you get that? See, we're followers of Christ. We're not supposed to just be comfortable. We're going to do what Jesus did and then some. When we said yes to Jesus, and received him as our Savior and Lord, that was just the first step in discovering our purpose, our reason for being here. See, so if we're meant to be here on earth just to develop a relationship with Jesus so that we receive him as Savior, and then after that we're done, then the minute we said yes, boom, we'd be out of here. It'd be mission accomplished, time to exit. But he didn't take us home he left us here, and he left us here to discover our gifts, to discover our calling and our purpose, and then to do something with them. The apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesus, and to all of us, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do in advance. I want you to hold on to those words in advance there's something in each one of us that we are so good at that when we do that one thing it fulfills something in the lives of the people around us and God put that in each and every one of us in advance before we would even need to use it it's already there it as God knit us together, as he breathes his life into us, he already knew what our future would look like. He knows what we're going to do with our personality, with our gifts, our abilities. And some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any gifts. I don't see that I am so good at doing something that it fulfills something in someone else. I'm just plain old regular me. Okay. So let's talk about Death Valley. Death Valley is the hottest, driest national park in the U.S. Its severe heat and dryness contributes to perpetual drought-like conditions throughout the year. Clouds don't even pass through because of the conditions there. And if you were to go visit Death Valley on a given day, it would look just like this. except for that is not a true representation of Death Valley. See, most times, Death Valley gets two inches of rain per year. But once, in a very great while, they're going to get a rain kind of like what we got on Tuesday. It's going to be torrential. It's going to just hit the thing, and it's going to just get everything wet. And guess what happens? It looks like this. Right? Now, most of those flowers are annuals. And what happens with the seeds is they lay underground until the right conditions. So we can go back to picture one. So when you look at that and we see that, what we don't see is all the life, all the potential, all the beauty, and all the grandeur that's lying just below the surface in seed-like form. And the same thing is true in us. Every one of us sitting here right now, every one of us online right now, sitting within us, is everything we need for whatever it is that God wants to do in our lives. We are his handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God prepared in advance for us to do those good works. And whether we can see them or not, whether we believe they are there or not, or whether others see them and believe they are there, God has placed deep within each and every one of us the potential for everything that he purposes us to do. Let that sink in for a moment. Inside of us is the potential for everything God wants us to do. God has a promise, and he has this charge for us. We're made for more, much more than the story that we're living right now. It's a story bigger than us. Author and speaker Jenny Ellen said this, Something deep down inside us is made to live for a story bigger than ourselves. The story of the one who made us. Any other version of this story will consistently feel shallow and empty. So if we discipline ourselves to do three things, we will live the story that is bigger than ourselves. It'll be the story that God planned for us and it'll be the adventure that he created us for. So if you're taking notes, you can write in the first line, do something. Just do something. Last week, I finished a puzzle that I'd been working on for a couple of weeks. Now, it took a couple of weeks because I happen to love the character Maleficent. So when I was at the store, I saw this Maleficent puzzle, and I said, oh, cool, I'm going to do that. Then I brought it home. We opened up the box, and they're all dark because she's Maleficent. Well, I'm 60. My eyes don't see that well, so darkened my eyes, didn't work that well. So it took a long time to do this puzzle. So we're working on the puzzle, and piece by piece, we're getting it in. And finally, last week, um, my husband came home from his small group, I came home from my small group, the puzzle's sitting there. You come home from your group, you're a little bit, you know, happy and excited, and you're not going to go to sleep. So we sat down, and we started doing the puzzle. And we kept working at it. And then I looked at my watch, and I said, oh, you know what, it's about 11 o'clock, Salt starts tomorrow. It's going to be a long day, so we should probably go to sleep. So he said, "Okay, you know, went to bed. Get up the next morning, getting ready. Tom's in the room. I'm ready. I'm waiting for him, and I look at the puzzle. So I go over, and I start working on it. And when he finally comes out, there's only 15 pieces of the puzzle left. And I have to leave to get here on time in 10 minutes. And I'm looking at it, and I'm going, it's not going to work. If I leave this, my daughter or grandson will finish the puzzle, and we can't have that happen. I worked on it for two weeks. I have to finish it. So this bright idea, and I started to go get a Ziploc, and I was going to put all the missing the pieces into my Ziploc and take it with me. But there are people here who know me, and that's dangerous because I would lose the Ziploc. And if I didn't lose a Ziploc, there are other people there who know my daughter who would come home and see the missing pieces and get back at me by taking out pieces. So that when I put my pieces in, they're still missing pieces. So that wasn't going to work. And I'm not kidding. I am so competitive that there was this dilemma. And I'm sitting and I'm looking at my husband. I'm looking at the time. And by that time, you know, it's less than 10 minutes to get there because I'm thinking, I'm like, what am I going to do? And then I solved it sorry, I said, Salt's today. We're going to be here for 12 hours. We're going to be here for 12 hours tomorrow. I'm going in late. And I finished the puzzle. (laughs) Now, we're laughing at that. Here's the thing. If I didn't start the puzzle, there wouldn't have been an end. If there wasn't that end, there wouldn't have been a dilemma. It all happened because I started And that's true with our lives. If we're going to have anything that we have to think about or pray about or go to the Lord for, we have to start somewhere. The book of Genesis in the Bible records the account of Jacob's family. Now, this family is where the 12 tribes of Israel originate from. Jacob had 12 sons. And because their sibling rivalry and intense jealousy, 10 of his sons sell their brother, who is his favorite son, into slavery. Now, years and years later, they're going to be reunited, and the family's going to be restored, but it had to begin somewhere. It's an incredible story, I encourage you to read it. It's in Genesis, starting in chapter 37, but we're not gonna go through it, so you'll wanna read it. Today, we're gonna look at the very beginning of the restoration of this family. And what's happened is, there's this huge famine in Egypt. Jacob's son, who had been sold into slavery, is no longer a slave. He's the second command in all of Egypt. And because he foresaw this happening, he's been giving all this authority and power to be able to uh, beat out the food and the grain as it's needed to the people. Jacob, not knowing that his missing son is second command in all of Egypt, Looks at his remaining sons, realizes there's food in Egypt, there's nothing here, what are we doing? And in Genesis 42, it says this When Jacob heard that, uh, that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt, go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, will die see Jacob has no idea about the family restoration that's going to take place but he did know his family was hungry there's food in Egypt if they didn't get up and move they weren't going to eat they needed to do something he had no idea that there's a miracle that lay ahead but he knew that his family was hungry, and that hunger spurred him on to do something. And sometimes, we're going to respond to a hunger to do something that's for just right now. But we have no idea the miracle that God has planned. Now, I'm going to take advantage of something. Right now, my team, 8 no baby, 8-0. I'm telling you that for a reason. There's a player on the team, Eric Armstead. He does this thing whenever he gets to the other quarterback. It's really cool. In fact, we, gotta, we have it. Can we put it up? Yeah, look. You know what he's saying? I'm hungry. I'm going to feast on your quarterback. And so he rubs his belly. I love that. But anyways, here's the thing. He could rub his belly all day. But if he didn't go in and get the quarterback, he's rubbing it for nothing. Last year, he rubbed it for nothing. (laughs) This year, I'm celebrating. He's rubbing his belly. He's saying, man, I'm going to feast. I'm hungry. I think that's kind of what Jacob was saying. Why are you rubbing your bellies? Why are we hungry? There's food in Egypt. We don't have to be hungry. Do something. So let me ask you, what are you hungry for? It doesn't have to be big. It just has to be something. Some of the biggest heroes in the Bible, sorry about that, I pulled, I got excited about the Niners and I pulled this. Okay, some of the biggest heroes in the Bible weren't trying to accomplish anything. They were simply doing life. David was out shepherding sheep when God called him to be king. Gideon was hiding out in a winepress, threshing wheat when God called him to lead an army and defeat Midian. Elisha was out plowing in the field when he was called to take Elijah's place as a prophet in all of Israel. And Moses? Moses was tending flocks for his father-in-law when he saw a burning bush, approached it, And was called to go back to Egypt and bring God's people out of slavery. David, Gideon, and Elisha didn't have big dreams and visions. They were just living life. And Moses actually did have a dream. But he got the time wrong. And in Acts, it says this. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard this he fled to Midian where he settled down as a foreigner and had two sons. Now some Bible scholars say that it was 40 years after this that Moses saw a burning bush in the desert and reproached it and received his command from God and what God told him was so now go I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt now some of us are like David Gideon and Elisha we just need to be faithful to what we're doing now we have no ideas what doors today's faithfulness will open for our future No idea. Others of us are like Moses. We have a dream. But we need to learn to wait on God's timing. And no matter where you are on the spectrum, you cannot just wait. We need to do something. And sometimes that something will be small. It will consist of simply being faithful. Other times, it will be painful. Like Moses... We may need to let go of our dream. And that's your second point. Let go of your dream. Moses had to let go of his dream of rescuing his people so that God could use him to rescue his people. And like Moses, we sometimes move a bit quicker than God wants us to. And it doesn't have the results that we're hoping for at all. And sometimes God needs to step in and slow us down. That's exactly what happened to Moses. He ended up running to Midian and living his life as a shepherd for 40 years before God renewed the dream within him. But by this time, it was God's dream, it was on God's terms, and it was in God's way. And we need to learn to hold loosely to our dreams and let God do what he's going to do. Years and years and years ago, when I was a new Christian, my auntie took me to her church. I have to explain. The church I grew up going to was one where you stood up at a certain time. You sat down at a certain time. Sometimes you knelt, and then you stood back up. and then, So that's what I was used to in church. My auntie's church was full-on Pentecostal. Like, full-on Pentecostal. I saw things that I'd never seen. in. I'm like, this is allowed in church? And that day, they had a prophetess who was um, praying over people and speaking over them and all this stuff and I sat there like my eyes must have been about this big I didn't know what to expect it scared me to death but you know what I remember from that is this woman would actually pray over people and she'd say things to them and some of them would bust out crying when I mean, they do all kinds of things Some of them, like man that just really spoke to their heart and at the end of the service I have remembered this. This is like 40 years ago, and I still remember this. This woman stood there at the front, and she said, okay, look, you've heard promises. You've heard prophecies. There have been words spoken to you, and a lot of you are going to leave here, and you're going to rush out, and you're going to force those things to happen. But I'm telling you, don't do anything with anything you just heard me say. What I want you to do is you take it home, And you put it on the back burner. And you allow God to boil it over. And in the right time, God will bring it to pass. If it's God's promise, he'll make it happen. And I've always remembered that. If it's God's promise, it's not my responsibility, it's his. In a letter to the church in Thessalonica, Paul says the same thing. He says, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God will do it. It just may not look like we expect. Phil Vischer, along with his partner, Mike Narocki, created the VeggieTales franchise. Do you guys know what VeggieTales is? Right. They're like this cool vegetable cartoons that were super popular in the late 90s, early um, 2000s. And they created this, and it spawned a Saturday morning cartoon show, a couple of movies, a VBS curriculum, and all kinds of paraphernalia. But by 2004, Mike and Phil lost control of their company. And in the book, Not Safe, Mark Batterson writes about that. He says, a few years ago, I met Phil Vischer, the creator of VeggieTales. Phil started out with loose change and a God idea called Big Idea. The company sold more than 50 million videos and grossed hundreds of millions of dollars, but it all ended with a lawsuit. As Phil himself said, 14 years worth of work flashed before my eyes. The characters, the songs, the impact, The letters from kids all over the world. It all flashed before my eyes, and then it all vanished. Big idea declared bankruptcy, and the dream died a painful death. And that's when Phil heard a sermon that saved his soul. If God gives you a dream, and the dream comes to life, and God shows up in it, and then the dream dies, it may be that God wants to see what is more important to you. The dream or him? Which do you love more? The dream God gave to you or the God who gave you the dream? Phil had to wrestle with that question. Who did he love more? His dream or his God? And he had to let go of his dream. And he had to trust that God had a plan that is bigger and better than the one that he had. And 25 years later, Paul now produces the What's in the Bible curriculum. And if you have kids in our children's ministry, that's the curriculum they're using right now. Not only that, he is once again partnering with his partner, Mike Naroki, to bring about new VeggieTale cartoons for us. And none of this would have happened if Phil had stubbornly held on to his dreams for VeggieTales. Instead of walking away and trusting God in the process. Through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, God reminds us. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Once we let go of our dreams, God can release his dream in us. He did that with Moses. Moses was in Midian for 40 years when God released his dream in him. Now go get my people out of Egypt. And after Moses let go of his dream and God renewed it in him, he had a choice. He could decide whether he was going to ignore it and walk away like he did 40 years ago or if he was going to respond. And when we read through Exodus, we know that he argued with God quite a bit but finally, he understood that God created him a certain way and God put certain gifts and callings and abilities within him and he was the man that God wanted to go into Egypt and bring his people out. And so confident of God's call and God's desire to set his people free, God, I mean, Moses went to Pharaoh. And whenever we read that in the Bible, it's so easy to pass by the passage. And we read it as part of the story of God releasing his people, but it's so much more than that. Because that moment is a pivotal moment in the history of the people of God. In that moment, there's a line being drawn. In Exodus, it says this, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, and this is the line, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go. So that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Listen, after Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, there was no turning back. There wasn't any chance to retreat. They weren't going to go, oops, sorry, didn't mean that. Moses had to set the ships on fire. And you can write that in your third point burn the ships. Legend has it that in 1519, Captain Hernan Cortes landed in Veracruz to begin his conquest of the Aztec Empire. When he and his men arrived, he gave them a very odd and very unsettling command. And that command? Burn the ships. He knew that retreat would be easy if there was an option. And he wanted his men to know there is no option. And as we follow God, we need to recognize our own burn the ships moments. Those moments when God says, draw the line right here. Turning back is not an option. Chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews is often called the faith chapter. And as we read the chapter, it's a compilation of people who made the decision to follow God, even to the point of burning their own ships for them. There was no turning back. Hebrews 11 says, If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I love the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Over and over, by faith... Abel brought God a better offering. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. By faith, Noah, by faith. I was so impressed with this chapter that I actually wrote in underneath all of those by faith. I wrote in by faith, Marsha. But here's the catch. It has to be more than words. By faith, Marsha looks really good in my Bible. And it sounds really good saying it, but it means absolutely nothing if I don't do it. In my walk with Jesus, I will encounter moments where I need to decide that retreat is not an option. I have to burn the ships. The song that we heard at the beginning of this, it's by 4K and Country. Joel and Luke Smallbone sing the song, Burn the Ships. And there's a story to that that I want you to hear. Because it was born out of one of those Burn the Ships moment for Luke and his wife Courtney. And I'll read their story to you. It says, Burn the Ships was inspired by Luke's wife Courtney, who was battling addiction. The couple had three sons, and during their second pregnancy, doctors prescribed an anti-nausea medicine to help Courtney with debilitating morning sickness. During the pregnancy, they continued to increase her dosage. I was in Austin, Texas for a show, Luke recalls. Courtney calls me and says, Hey, I need you to come home. And I said, Okay, what's going on? And she said, I can't stop taking these pills. We've got to deal with it. Luke returned immediately, took his wife to a psychiatric facility, and doctors placed Courtney in a treatment program. Luke dropped her off every morning at 9 a.m. and picked her up at 2 p.m. I was at home one day, and she had this bottle of pills in her hands. And I was like, what do you have those bottles of pills for? And she said, Luke, I need to flush these pills because these pills represent so much guilt and shame in my life. I don't want to be consumed by the past anymore. I want to move into a new day, into what's before me. And so the album title came from that moment. Combined with an old history lesson. I read a story about an explorer going to a new land. And when he arrived on the shore, he calls everybody off the ships and said, Hey, let's go explore this land and see what there is to be seen. And all the men were terrified of going into the unknown. And he realized that even though those boats were grimy, stinky, and small, they wanted to stay on the boats because it was familiar. So the next day, he calls them out again. And when all the sailors were on land, he gives the command to burn the ships. Because he said, we're not going to retreat. We're going to move forward in our lives. The flushing of the pills was the burning of the ships for my wife and for us to step into a new world, a new day. That was four years ago. My wife said, you need to go share this story with people because there's so many people that are bound by things in their past. I don't want people to live like that. I want my story to be an encouragement to them to help them spread their wings. Courtney said that those pills represent so much guilt and shame in her life that she didn't want to be consumed by it anymore. For Courtney, burning the ship's Looked like flushing those pills down the toilet. For the Old Testament prophet, Elisha, it looked like burning his plowing equipment and sacrificing his oxen. He was out plowing when Elijah comes along, throws his cloak on him. And he knew what that meant. He was being called to take Elijah's place. And he had a choice to make. And it says, Elisha left him and went back. And he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And when he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. In the book, The Last Arrow, Ern McManus writes about this moment. He says, for Elijah, this wasn't a turn from wrong to right or evil to good, but rather from the life he had to live to the life he was offered. Elijah's extreme action was both his declaration and his determination. There's no turning back. In a few weeks or months or even years, things were not going as he hoped. If Elijah did not prove to be a man worth aligning with, or if the future became more difficult than he had imagined, there was nothing to return to. There were no plows or oxen waiting for him at home. No previous life waiting for him to pick up where he left off, other than as a memory, the past, was no longer available to him. He had only one direction, forward. As long as we have a contingency plan to go backward, then backward is where we will find ourselves going to in the end. For too many of us, plan B is to go back to the life we never wanted in the first place. Isn't that exactly what happened to Israel? When they finally found their deliverance from Egypt, they cried out to God to be free, and they complained to him, when he granted their request. All they wanted was to be delivered from Egypt, and then later, all they wanted was to be delivered back to Egypt again. If slavery remains an option, we will find ourselves abdicating our freedom. We don't call it slavery. We call it safety. We call it comfort. We call it security. We call it responsibility. So what's the line that you need to draw? Where do you want your story to be bigger than yourself? Ern says in this book, We each have one life, but this life has eternal significance. What we do in this one life has infinite implications. And beyond that, our stories are bigger than history. Our stories don't end when we do. They are only the beginning of much greater stories, the content of which we are completely unaware. So, in that sense, we get the best of both worlds. Our deepest meaning must go back beyond that which is confined in time and space. Yet, that does not in any way diminish the importance of this moment. Our stories are bigger than ourselves. And I want to close with this two brothers are out fishing on the lake one day, and they have their lines cast. And as they're fishing, Jesus walks by. And he says to Peter and Andrew, Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And Luke and Peter, I'm Luke and Peter, Peter and Andrew have a decision and a choice to make. Because fishing, they understand. You put your line in the water, you put your nets in the water, you catch fish, you bring that out, you take it to the market and you sell it. Fishing is hard work, it's back work. But it has provided for their family all these years. Now they're being faced with a decision. Follow me. What does that look like? What does that mean? What are we going to do? How do I provide for my family if I follow you? But something about that call resonated deep within their souls. Because Mark wrote, at once they left their nets and followed him. Peter and Andrew recognized a burn your ship moment in their lives. Like Elisha with his plows, they walked away from the life they knew to something that was much bigger than themselves. So what does that look like for you? What is God asking you to do? What is it that's a little different? For a woman in our church, She was in a Bible study. In the Bible study, we talked about millions of women that go missing each year, and she says, I got to do something. But what do I do? I live in Hilo. What do I do? So she found a ministry that works in those areas, and she started giving. But God wasn't done there. Because she gained her confidence. I see her. Sunday after Sunday within this church she's walking around she's talking to different women she's encouraging them she's praying with them and she's giving them words of life and hope that's what her ship looked like I have another friend she tells me I'm just a photographer but God's calling her to do videos she says I'm, I like still pictures but God's saying nope I have something more I want you to tell stories this way I have a text from another friend she just sent me she says okay I'm all in And we just put an offer in a house in another state. And we feel like God wants us to go to the state and he wants us to plant a home church. I have no idea what that looks like. I have no idea when we're leaving. All I know is that God's asking us to do it. I have another group of friends, two friends, at our past thought conference, we asked them, hey, can you come and speak? They actually emailed back, texted back and said, we're not comfortable speaking in front of a groups of people, but if that's what God wants, then okay, we'll do it. So what is it for you? What is it that God's asking you to do that might be a little bit unsettling, a little bit scary? For somebody here, it might simply be saying yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. For someone else, it might be, I gotta volunteer somewhere. Somebody else needs to go to work tomorrow and have a conversation, but we all have a moment. And we all all have within us the gifts, the abilities, and the talents, and the potential to be everything that God called us to be. So if you have your notes still, out, I want you to do this. We have one more blank left, and it says by faith. What I want you to do is I want you to put your name there. By faith. And then what is that one thing that you're going to do? Whether it's small, big, whatever, what is the one thing that you're going to do? And it has to be more than words. It's not just write it, it's let it actually be something that we're going to do by faith. From this moment on, I'm going to uh, tap into the potential that God has put in me, and this is what I'm going to do. So go ahead and write that in, and the worship team can come out. You know, we all have to burn the ship somewhere. And I hope that when we leave here today, that's exactly what we do, that we do something, we let go of our dreams, we burn the ships, and our community is affected because we're different and we're new. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for being part of our lives, for calling us to be a part of your kingdom, for putting deep within us the potential for the greatness that you call us for. Because, Lord, you have created us for more. We are more than existing here on this earth. We're called to do something. And we want to accomplish something in your kingdom, no matter what it is. Would you show us what that is. And I'm going to ask you right now, if there's anybody here that would say, you know what, my first step is I do need to ask Jesus into my life. I need to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand so we can pray for you? I need to ask Jesus to be my life. I see you right there, right here. Right here, I see all of you right here. Okay. You guys can put your hands down. Would you guys pray with me as we pray this? Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for the more that you call me to. And Lord, I receive you as my Lord as my savior and I want to step forth from here and be everything you've called me to be and to do everything you've called me to do I give my life to you and Lord for the rest of us that's the same prayer Lord we give our lives to you would you help us to have the boldness and the confidence to draw that line and to do everything that you've asked in Jesus name we all say amen